The scripture lesson today comes from the good news, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. Let's share in God's good word together. From there, he went all over Galilee. He used synagogues for meeting places and taught people the truth of God. God's kingdom was his theme, that beginning right now, they were under God's government, a good government. He also healed people of their diseases and of the bad effects of their bad lives. Word got around the entire Roman province of Syria. People brought anybody with an ailment, whether mental, emotional, or physical. Jesus healed them one and all. More and more people came, the momentum gathering. Besides those from Galilee, crowds came from the ten towns across the lake, others up from Jerusalem and Judea, still others from across the Jordan. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. We are becoming who we will be forever. Let me say that again. We are becoming who we will be forever. There is nothing more important than your character. Nothing at all. Nothing is more important than who you truly are because that essence goes on for all eternity. Now, a few big questions sit behind this. Do you like who you are becoming? Do you know who you are? Do you know what God has designed you specifically to do? We are invited to be a part of what God is doing right here, right now, right where we are. And when we do this, we participate in what's known as the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth or the land, he's not saying be meek and you will win the lottery. Not at all. What Jesus is declaring is that because of him who now lives inside of you, we now have the ability to use our power for good, including the care of the land we have. So today we begin our new series, Jesus in his own words. Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are known as the Sermon on the Mount, or as we like to call it around here, the greatest teaching ever given by the smartest man who ever lived. The Sermon on the Mount does not demand of us what we cannot do. Rather, the Sermon on the Mount assures us that we are wondrous creatures who already have the gifts needed to live into the kingdom of heaven right now. So let's get started. We are beginning a new sermon series called Jesus in His Own Words. And we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. When Jesus saw the crowds, He went up to the mountain or up on the hillside, depending on your translation. And as a way of introduction and to set up the context, I want you to see a few things. First of all, the Sermon on the Mount is not only the scripture of the church, but also the teaching that made sense to the Jewish disciples who followed Jesus. And so when we come to the Bible, we read it through a resurrection lens because we are the Easter people. But if we're not careful, we can miss some of the nuance of Jesus as a Jewish person teaching other Jewish people. And so Dr. Amy Jill Levine puts it this way. She says, if we get Jesus' context wrong, we'll get him wrong. And she's absolutely right about that. Uh, Dr. Amy Jill Levine is the professor of New Testament and Jewish studies at Vanderbilt Divinity School. That's where Pastor Brandon did his theological work. And so she was his professor in a number of courses that he took there. And then he shared some of her work with me. And I've really enjoyed it. And I can't wait to share uh, much of it with you 
uh, in the coming weeks in this sermon series. So what we find is that Jesus is not a Christian talking to other Christians. No, rather Jesus is a Jew talking to other Jews. And so we need to make sure that we're not just putting our assumptions or our thoughts onto the text. We need to let Jesus say what he says and then what we can learn from it today. So Jesus is not telling his fellow Jews to do away with the Torah, right? And the Torah is the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. No, rather, he is giving them insight into the heart of the law. What, what is God's heart and what God looks at, looks at and tells them to listen up? He's like, hey, I'm going to tell you what this really means. Um, and let's not get caught up in the details of all the, the little things over here, over here. Yes, the Torah is important. I've come to fulfill it, he will say in the scriptures. And this is the heart of the matter. So Jesus is providing instruction on how best to live into the reality of the kingdom of heaven now. When Jesus comes to earth, he says the kingdom of heaven is here because heaven is where Jesus is. When whatever Jesus says, whatever Jesus does, that is heaven. So uh, maybe, and sometimes it's easier to say what something is not in order for us to know what it is. And so what the Sermon on the Mount is not. First of all, and we have to get this right, it is not advice. Will you say that with me? It is not advice. It's just not. Because if it were, then a lot of folks would never want to have anything to do with Christianity. So let's see what uh, Matthew 5, 2 through 5 says. It says, Then he, Jesus, began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to be poor? Well, no, of course not. There's nothing intrinsically great about being poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Do you want to mourn? Do you, do you want to be somebody in grief, uh, not able to even get out of bed in the morning because your, your sorrow is so deep and your tears have drenched your pillows? No, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't make any sense at all. Blessed are those who mourn, um, but they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Do you, do you want to be meek? No, see, if this is advice, it doesn't work at all. If you're required to be poor and to be weepy and to be meek, to never be able to, to ask for what you need or to stand up for what is right, uh, all of this, if you take this as advice, it doesn't work that way. Also, it's not a list of general moral principles. Right? These are not things that you have to do to get into heaven. And if we read it that way as, as Christians, like, oh, I'm just trying to get into heaven, then no, 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 then that is to miss it completely. It's not a list of things that we should do. It's simply not. God is not saying, um, I want you to go out and be poor and to mourn uh, and to weep and to wail and to be meek. That's not what he is saying in this at all. Although some folks have said that that's exactly what he's doing, um, but they haven't looked at the context of what Jesus is saying to the people he's saying it to. So, Jesus is declaring an objective reality as the result of a divine act. This is reality, friends, that you are blessed even when you mourn. You are blessed by God. God is with you when you weep. God is with you when you're meek. God is with you even when you're poor, even when you have nothing, you have everything because God is with you. See the difference? 
It's a reality of what God has done for you. He's talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like, what it really is, because of what God has done in Jesus. When Jesus shows up, it doesn't matter. You're not poor anymore when Jesus shows up. You're, you're not alone in your mourning when Jesus shows up. You are not downcast or put out when Jesus shows up. Everything is going to be just fine when Jesus is with you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's with us. And so we need to really learn, what does this kingdom of heaven mean? What does this term mean? What is the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus uses the kingdom of heaven as a contrast to the kingdoms of earth. He says, yes, the kingdoms of earth work this way, right? You know, get yours before other people get theirs, because otherwise there won't be enough. It's a, it's a theology of scarcity. That's the way the world works. That's the kingdom of earth. That's the kingdom of me, mine, and ours. And you better get yours, because I've got mine. That's the way the kingdom of earth works. And Jesus says, no, the kingdom of heaven is not like that. There's enough for everyone, and God is with you. And you don't have to worry about who's in or who's out, because God decides. God is with us. The kingdom of heaven is for all people in all places at all times. Dr. Levine says it like this. She says, heaven is a different place, a better place. See, it's not like the kingdoms of earth. Heaven is a different place, a better place, a real place, a place where God rules and life is as God wants rather than as humanity has constructed. So all those things that we can be upset about, that's not the kingdom of heaven. We are to know and to be assured that when we are in the presence of Jesus, when we are in heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of heavens, as the Bible calls it, everything is going to be all right. We don't have to worry. It's not like the kingdoms of earth. You see, the kingdom of heaven is where what God wants done is done. In this life and the next. In the next life, of course, it's going to be exactly as God wants where peace and joy and love and mercy reign. That's what happens in heaven. And that can happen right here on earth. It just hasn't come in the full way yet. It's not in its fulfilled form. So the kingdom of heaven, Dr. Levine says, it occurs when people take the words of Jesus in these chapters to heart and live into them. When we comfort those who mourn, when we help those who are oppressed, when we feed those who are hungry, when we give shelter to those who are in need. You see, the kingdom of heaven is where past, present, and future all unite at table eating together with no borders, no bias, and no bigotry. And that can happen right here today. When people from different countries and different races and different backgrounds sit down and feed one another and care for one another and give one another health care and, and the whole world is at peace and at one, that is what heaven is like. And every once in a while we get a glimpse of that when we have our neighbor over for lunch or for dinner or we have laughter and we, we share uh, time when our children play sports together and we have a wonderful time and there's nothing missing, nothing broken. It is the shalom of God all around us. And that's available to you today. The other word that's going to be really big all the way through this series, all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, is repent. And, and repentance is not simply a matter of saying that we're sorry, but it includes making right what was wronged. And so maybe you've seen a movie like Mean Girls or other you know comedies or other 
even more serious movies where somebody's like, oh, I'm sorry. And you, you just want to hit them. I mean, you're just really angry because you know they're not sorry. There's nothing in their life that would show that they're sorry. It's just something they're saying to get them out of trouble. Nobody believes that. So repentance isn't something we just say. It's not saying I'm sorry and then living on. No, it is actually changing our behavior. It's righting that which is wronged. If you wreck somebody's car, you have to fix the car. If your trees fall over and knock over your neighbor's fence, I'm sorry to my neighbors, I have to repair the fence. I can't just say I'm sorry and let it go. That's how repentance works. To repent is to turn our lives towards God, to turn away from bad things and to make the wrong things right, to do what we can. And you and I both know there's some things that you can't make right, so you just have to do your very best to try to make the best out of difficult situations. But repentance is about our hearts and about the action that flows out of our hearts. So repentance, not simply a matter of saying we are sorry, but includes making right what was wronged or making up with the person who was wronged. So we come to this part of the sermon that's known as the Beatitudes. Well, what is a Beatitude? Well, the word Beatitude actually comes, it, 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 it wasn't, it didn't even exist during Jesus' time. The word Beatitude wasn't coined until the fourth century. Uh, it comes from Jerome's translation of the Bible into Latin, uh, and the word is Beati, uh, which is where we get our Beatitude. Um, but that's Latin. So earlier than that, it would have been translated from the Greek. And the Greek New Testament word is makarios, uh, which is translated as blessed. It's also been translated as happy uh, or fortunate or well-off. Uh, but most Bibles, your Bible probably, will translate it as blessed. Blessed are. Now here's the thing. Jesus didn't make up the Beatitudes. The Beatitude was a form of Scripture uh, that had been around hundreds and thousands of years before Christ. It's in the Psalms, it's in the prophets. And so the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 17 says it like this. Blessed are, right? That's the beatitude. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. Now, we are blessed when we trust in the Lord. It changes our life. It changes the world. They shall be like. So this, this beatitude, this blessedness says, blessedness is like this, right? They shall be like. It is the case. It is that divine reality um, that we referenced just a few minutes ago. So blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water. That's a good thing. Sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when the heat comes and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious and it does not cease to bear fruit. Now, do you see how beautiful that is? What a great word picture that is of what the people of God are like when we are participating in the kingdom of heavens. When everything else is dry and, and cracking and going to pot. Not us. What's possible because Christ is with us is we have deep roots from the living water of Jesus. In the Psalms it says this, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Yes we are. When we're with Jesus we are blessed. We bless you from the house of the Lord. It's not about goodies. It's not about circumstances. It's about the relationship with God himself in the person of Jesus. So the Beatitudes, these blessings, are nothing short of God's will for human life. It's what, what God wants. What God wants is, is the Beatitude. That, that's really simple. A Beatitude or the blessing is what God has for you and for all his children. 
So Dr. Levine says it like this, when we hear that we are blessed, we should hear as well a sense of responsibility. Yes, it's a gift, but it's also a responsibility. A blessing giving, a talent bestowed, if unappreciated and unused, is wasted. Friends, I'm in a season in my life with my folks where we've needed to move them uh, from their home into different living situations, and there are family heirlooms um, that are being passed. And I have been blessed with some things that have been handed down from generation to generation. Now, that blessing is also a great responsibility. Uh, I, I'm receiving the family clock that dates all the way back to the 1700s. But in order for me to receive that blessing, I have to take great care of it. I actually have to go make sure that the cabinet works. And um, that's a great responsibility, the cabinet that holds uh, the old clock that is our family clock from generation to generation. So it costs me resources. Uh, it costs me time. And it's a great responsibility to care for the blessing and the gifts that have been handed to me. Am I thrilled to receive it and to be able to pass it on one day? Yes, of course. But it's also a great responsibility. I, I take great care in what happens to the things that have been handed to me from my family. And I hope that you and I both will take great care in the blessings that have been handed to us from Christ himself. And so the opposite of blessed is cursed. And so some people, again, have translated blessed as happy, but the opposite of blessed is an unhappy, it's actually cursed. So blessed are the things of God, what God wants, and cursed are the things that God does not want or God is not a part of. And so that's, that's the transition that's going on. The kingdoms of God are blessed. The kingdoms of earth, uh, if they're not connected to God, are cursed because they're not of Him. So the Beatitudes then are not demands for conversion. You don't have to do this, 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 and this to be able to sneak into heaven. It's not like that. So they're not demands. It's a declaration of the marks of the church. This is what the church looks like when the church is working right. Blessed are those when, the, when people mourn because in community, in the church, you will be comforted because Christ is alive and well. You're not alone. We will sit with you in your grief. We will care for you. We will listen to you. We will weep with you. You are not alone. Blessed are those who mourn for they have loved well because mourning is the price that we pay for loving. You see, arriving at a quiet place, the scripture says, Jesus sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You are blessed, Jesus says, when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You are blessed, Jesus says, when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're never alone with God. You are blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. Because Christ is with you. You don't have to be, try to pretend that you're something that you're not. Not at all. You are blessed, the scripture says. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. That's what you get when you're a participant in the kingdom of heaven. You are blessed, the scripture says, when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. Friends, you are blessed when you care. You really are. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves being cared for. That's one of the great blessings of being in ministry. Uh, over the last number of years, I've had uh, surgery on both hands and a full knee replacement. 
And all those years of me caring for the community, I cannot tell you what a blessing it was to receive all that care and love back into my life. What a great joy it is when we care for others that we're cared for in community. It is the truth of the kingdom of heaven where we care for one another. And the scripture says you are blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. When that's right, then you can see God in the outside world. Have you ever noticed that? That you're in prayer, you've been in scripture, you are connected with God in a good way, and then you go on a walk and you see him everywhere. He's in the sunset and the sunrise. He's in uh, the flowers that bloom. He's in the little blooms of the peach and the cherry trees these days. He is on the the shimmer of the water uh, as the sun bounces off and the geese and the ducks that come uh, and and the dogs that walk by and the laughter of children and the singing of the birds. When your heart and mind are right, God is everywhere on the outside because it matches your inside. You are blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You are blessed, friends, when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. Man, we need that so badly now. The church has to be the place where we have peace, where we do not fight, we do not compete, but we cooperate together. That's when you discover who you really are. That's what church is. This is what church looks like when the local church is working right. And your place in God's family. When you find your place in community is one of the most beautiful things in this life and the next. You are blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution because you're the kind of person your character demands that you do the right thing at the right time for the right reasons regardless. And that is a powerful and beautiful thing. You are blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down. Count yourselves fortunate. Count yourselves in the right place every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit Jesus. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. So you can be glad, Jesus says, when that happens. Give a cheer even. For they don't like it, but I do, Jesus says. He likes it when we stand up for him. He likes it when we do the right thing for the right reasons at the right time, regardless of what others might say or do in response to the truth and love and care of Jesus in the world. And all heaven applauds. You see, God sees. The saints that have gone before us, they see. Jesus sees. They're cheering us on. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Isn't that true? Amen. You see, when Jesus talks about blessedness, he's talking about things that really are happy. Happy are, blessed are, fulfilled are, whole are. If you want to be fully human, this is what that looks like, Jesus is saying. And Jesus is introducing us to the contrast between life as the present world knows it, the kingdom of earth, and life as God wills it, the kingdom of heaven. And so Dallas Willard, in his amazing book, The Divine Conspiracy, says this, The gospel is less about how to get into the kingdom of heaven after you die, and more about how to live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. And this, both Jewish scholars and Christian scholars agree. It doesn't matter whether you're reading this from a Christian perspective or from a Jewish perspective, The truth of the matter is this teaching of Jesus, it's not about trying to get into heaven. It's about what heaven looks like here 
on earth and in the life to come. So our action steps, the way we live this out together, friends, is simply this. I want to invite you to love today in a way that will require you to mourn deeply one day. It's true that you may never have to grieve a loss, but what that will mean is you've never loved. I know that the day um, that those closest to me pass away, I will be crushed. I can't imagine my life um, without Chantel uh, or our boys. I know that that will be more than I could ever um, handle on my own. Um, and, you know, I pray like many of you that I go first. That would be great with me. Um, but the thing is, if I can't mourn, it means that I've not loved. And if, if I don't choose to love, um, then, I, then I won't mourn. And those two go together. Mourning is the price we pay for loving. And so when I do funerals and I see people uh, grieving deeply, I know the depth of their love. You can see it how they love them so much. And of course, Jesus models this for us. He weeps over Lazarus, his friend. And that's what people said. They looked at Jesus and they said, see how much he loved him. And we are to do likewise. Secondly, then I want to invite you to act in a way that brings honor to the memory of your parents and how they raised you. Uh, this is a big value in, in the Jewish community and what Jesus was teaching. We are to live in a way that whether our parents are living or have already passed, that we honor them. Each year before our youth group goes to camp, uh, we remind them of three things. That when they go to camp, when they're out and about, um, they represent or represent three groups. The first, uh, of course, is the church. If they're riding in a, in a church vehicle or they're, they're going, they know that they represent or represent Acts 2 United Methodist Church with all the other kids. Um, and so when they somebody meets them and they say, what church you go to? And they say Acts 2. There's an expectation about what that means. That's true for all of our members, wherever we are. Whenever you wear an Acts 2 t-shirt, I hope that you are being awesome, that you've, you're well-rested and you're having a good day. That's what I hope. When you have a sticker on your car, I pray that you're a good driver. If you have a sign in the front of your yard that says Acts 2, I hope that it's a blessing to your neighbors and not a curse. Because the way we act is to bring honor to our church. It's also to bring honor to our family name. And so uh, in our country, we all have our first name and then we have our surname. And so the way we act is represents our mom, our dad, our grandmas, our grandpas, our brothers, and our sisters. And we tell the kids that. And then most importantly, as they go out into the world, as you and I go out into the world, we represent Jesus to everybody that we meet. If we claim the name Christian, our actions, and we're not going to do it perfectly, but we can do it lovingly. And so we represent the church, we represent our family, and we represent Jesus himself. And so I hope you'll act in a way that brings honor to all those things. And finally, I want to invite you to accept the power and love that God has given you to live in the kingdom of heaven today. Jesus says that he is with us. Jesus is telling us that this is what blessedness looks like. That living with him and his kingdom and his power and his grace and his resurrection, the kingdom of heaven is at hand and we get to live in it. That's great news. Amen? Amen. I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, our teacher, you are concerned not only with what we believe, but also and especially with what we do. 
Send us out in your spirit to practice righteousness, that we whom you graciously call blessed may live as blessings in the world. Glorifying God in heaven. Amen. And now, with the confidence of the children of God, let us pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.